the 50th Psalm, and we're going to talk a little bit this morning about being Christ-like and uh, just a, a, an area that I, I believe is very appropriate to dealing with this morning. And so I believe you're going to be taught the Word of God in some areas here today that will help us in the season of life that we're in. You know, as Americans, we, we have technology, uh, comfort, convenience, even uh, security, and a, and a measure of prosperity that the majority of the people of the world doesn't ever get to experience. And I, I thank God for America. I thank God that God, God blesses our, our land, but I don't believe that all this security and the convenience are the basis of the church. That many times we've got, become a society that the church should be convenient and, and it should be all about comfort. No, we've got to begin to get back that we become Christ-like. That it's the things that God must come back on the inside of us. And we begin to live for the things of the kingdom. Now, I'm going to begin this morning in Psalm 50, verse 1. And this, this verse is just really powerful. The mighty one. I like that right there. The mighty one. God the Lord has spoken and he has called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, Israel, the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Out of the perfection of beauty. And so when I look at all this, that God operates on this earth and his beauty will shine forth through me and you. We become the reflection of the beauty of the Lord. And we can have all the truth in the world. We can have all the goodness of the world. But I found out, guys, truth without beauty is just condescending. Truth without goodness just becomes legalistic. But when you put truth and you put goodness with the beauty, it becomes the reflection. Where people begin to look at us and say, that's God. That's real. And I believe this is what's got to come back into the church. That we're not critical. We're not judgmental. We're not condemning. We're not better than anybody. But we allow the beauty, the reflection of the Lord to come through us. Because without this, guys, we lose our meaning here on earth. And God wants to shine forth from us. He wants the beauty of the Lord to come. Now go back with me into the New Testament into Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter number 10, and I'm going to go somewhere with this today. We're heading in a direction. You know, our identity must be in Christ Jesus. Mark chapter 10. Man, that everything I do must be connected to the kingdom of God. I'm going to start in, in Mark 10, and I'm going to read verse number 45. And then I'm going to go backwards a little bit. Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus himself said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom or a payment for many. Now, when you look at what Jesus, and I believe he was the greatest leader of all time, he defines leadership right there. Leadership is not in a position. Leadership is not in a title. Leadership is in the way that I serve other people. And the higher you want to go as a leader, especially in the kingdom of God, the more of a servant's heart that you have to have. In other words, it can't always be about me. 
So when you read here what Jesus has said, he's telling us it's about me building this kingdom. And the way I build the kingdom is from having a heart of a servant. It wasn't about a political agenda. This isn't what he was talking about. And in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus himself said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know who the church is? Me and you. And Jesus declares something in there that I really believe we got to get a hold of. The gates of hell won't prevail against us. And I think as human beings, we need to understand this. Our battle isn't against other people. Our battle is against the kingdom of darkness. And what we got to understand is there's a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of darkness. There is no neutral ground. You're either in this kingdom or you're in this kingdom. Now let's pick up in verse 35 there and let's go a little farther here. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory or in heaven. Now, in saying that, that that can be a great thought. But the thing we all have to question is what was their motive here in doing this? Keep reading. Verse 38. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said to him, We are able. So Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. Verse 40, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it is prepared. When the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Now think about this. These 12 disciples are sitting around and they hear James and John say to Jesus, in heaven we want to sit one on your right and on your left and it displeased the other disciples. Why do you think it displeased them? I think it displeased them because they knew that James and John were politicking. They were playing a game here and it displeased the other ones. Now look what Jesus goes on to say in verse 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers or have power over the Gentiles, they lord it over them or they bring them into subjection. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Now if you look at all those words in there, the, the powers, the rulers, the domineering, it was talking about here of political dominance. And he was basically telling them, listen guys, this isn't how the kingdom of God operates. It's not about who has the power and who rules. What was it about? Well, look what he says here in verse 42 or 3. Yet it shall not be so among you. In other words, don't start playing political games. Don't start living by the way this world lives. Because he said, it shall not be so among you, but the way my kingdom operates, whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever you desires to be first shall be slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served. And so right here, Jesus is telling these guys, this isn't the way my kingdom's going to operate. My kingdom's going to operate by men and women that become servants. That begin to say, I'm going to follow after what Jesus said. Now, when I begin to look at all this and study on these lines, every one of us in here, we have certain dilemmas to our lives, certain allegiances. The thing we all must understand today, my number one allegiance must be to Jesus and the kingdom of God above anything. Now, here's the dilemma we run into. Many of us in here, if not all of us, we're very patriotic. We love America. I love America. God bless, I love this land. But even as much as I love America, it can't become an allegiance more than I have to the kingdom of God, to Jesus. And I think at times we as Americans, we mess up when we have the mentality that, that God would put the well-being of America above Canada, uh, Mexico, China. Certainly not. For God so loved the world. But so many times as Americans, you know what? We take on this mentality, us versus them. Not in the kingdom of God. Now I'm going to give you another dilemma. Many of you yesterday afternoon probably went to a football game or you watched a football game. Now I don't care who your favorite college team is. That can't be more of allegiance to them than to Father God. Even with what took place yesterday, the sun still came up, okay? For every one of us. And I can't have more of allegiance, and I'm just going to throw this name out here, to the Dallas Cowboys than I can to the kingdom of God. And the reason I say this stuff, guys, is because yesterday, all across America, and even today, all across America, there's these things called sanctuaries, called football stadiums. Where there'll be 50, 60, 70, 80, even in some situations, over 100,000 people. And you know what? Many people's lives are dictated by what happens on Saturdays and Sundays. Many people won't come to church today. Because what time the Cowboys come on? Now this is just allegiance. This is just locating where we're at. And I love football, guys. Hang in here with me. I'm going somewhere with this. And some of you say, he must be. And my allegiance, guys, cannot be more to the Republican or Democratic parties than to the kingdom of God. Let me tell you that right now. My number one allegiance is to the kingdom of God, to be Christ-like. I'm the reflection, I'm the image. And I'm going to say this right now. I am so fed up with the debates I am so fed up with the commercials about this election. And you know why I can stand here and say, and I've never talked about this in church. Because all of the hatred and anger in our nation. And let me just clarify that. That's on both sides of the fence. That's just not on Republican and that's just not on Democrat. It's on both sides of the fence. Now my point in saying that? is on both sides of the fence, whether Republican or Democrats. You know what? We're Americans. But even more so, on both sides of that fence, we're Christians. We're believers. 
And when I look at everything that's going on, I think the devil loves this. That he can literally sit in his recliner and drink whatever hot drink he drinks, because it's hot in hell. And I think he loves this because he says, look, Americans, humans, but even more so, Christians devour themselves. Go with me to the book of John chapter 18. John chapter 18, I'm going to try to help you make a little sense out of this today. You know, I see more and more in our society that we pick it. We protest, we petition, we boycott, we write letters to the editors, all in the name of Jesus. And some of you are saying, is there something wrong with that? Well, let me ask you this question. How would the common observer respond to your actions? Would they look and say, that's beautiful. That makes me want to receive your Jesus. See, this is the thing that's beginning to grieve me. I'm telling you guys, it breaks my heart. And even when I come in here and begin to pray, I say, Father God, I know the scriptures say that a house divided cannot stand. Even a nation. And this is where I'm going to this. Now, I want you to pay close attention right here on what Jesus said in, in John 18 verse 36. And I'll say this right now, John is the only gospel writer here who records these words of Jesus. And what's the words he says? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, Jesus is saying, my kingdom does not go by the rules of this world. Now what are the rules of the world? Look what he goes on to say. If my kingdom were of this world, or if my kingdom were of this world... My servants would fight. Now, how does the kingdom of this world fight? Flesh and blood. That's all we know. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. And the accusations here against Christians was they were more political than they were spiritual. And so he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of the world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. And so we go back and we can look through Scripture. From the early days, the Israelites would fight and they would fight. And you would see the patriarchs, all of Jacob's sons, they would fight and they would fight. And King David, he would fight, he spilled so much blood. And so this becomes our mentality even as believers. I, I even was looking the other day in, in, in Kings where Elijah was having the big showdown with the false prophets of Baal. And my interpretation of this, it almost came to this. That Elijah was saying to them, my God will beat your God up. And so we see this over and over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden, this guy named Jesus comes on the scene. And he tells us, don't do that stuff. Now look what he ends up saying there in verse 36 at the end. But now my kingdom is not 
from here. He makes it very clear. His kingdom's not from here. And so we can go back to Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail. The apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6, 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. So right here, he begins to clarify to me and you that our battle isn't against humanity. It's us versus them. It's not about violence. It's not about political powers or against political powers. Now look in the same chapter back to verse 10. I want you to see something here. Jesus has just been arrested. And in verse 10 he said, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it. And he struck the high priest's servant and he cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And when I read this about Peter, he went into action. He went into the same behavior that me and you want to go into. Let's just kill him. Let's get rid of him. And it's very easy to do that. But look what Jesus himself said in the next verse. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given to me? Shall I not drink the cup my father's given to me? And so he's telling Peter here, there's not going to be a bloody revolution, Pete. There's not going to be a violence. And if you'll notice here that Jesus didn't say, put your sword up and go get the rest of the disciples and let's boycott. Let's petition. Let's write letter to the editor. Now, you know what Jesus did? He loved them and he forgave them. And when Jesus loved them and forgave them, he died. And he absorbed all the evil and the ugliness. And he, he exchanged it for a beauty. And you know what the beauty was? Love and forgiveness. Love and forgiveness. You know, guys, it's not hard to argue with beauty. And I think this is one of the things we as the church must constantly remind ourselves. Are my behaviors, are my actions, are they of beauty? Would people respond and say once again, that's beautiful. That makes me want to receive your God. So it all falls back to this. What's my image? Am I Christ-like? And I believe this is what the Lord said. Just be Christ-like. Make sure that you're not offensive. Just be Christ-like. I think I'm safe to say to say this. Take Republican, take Democrat, take Libertarian, take Independent out of the equation. Ask yourself, am I Christ-like? I want to go a step farther, and the thing I love about this church is every color of skin. And even more so than my white skin that I didn't have a choice being, just like you didn't have a choice being brown and you didn't have a choice being black. Take the color of my skin out of the equation and say, am I Christ-like? Because this is what it's going to come down to, guys. In heaven, it's not going to be, this is the whites, the black. We're all going to be together. Thank the Lord. And if you've come here a long time, you realize I don't have a problem with skin color. 
The thing is, guys, the issue is, am I Christ-like? Nothing more, nothing less. And when I see what people do and what people say, I mean, even on TV right now, you know what a lot of the ads are? Rent a pastor. Let him stand up in front of people and say this or that. We'll do anything for a vote. Once again, am I Christ-like? Go with me to the first John chapter 4, way back there in the back. First John chapter 4. And as you're turning there, guys, a couple years ago, I sat at a big table. Hmm, probably 15, maybe 20 men of every other ever color skin ministers. Some, if I mention their name, you would know who I was talking about. Many of them have huge churches. Many of them are authors. I mean, great men of God. And anytime I get in a setting with great men of God, you know what I do? I get real quiet. I understand I ought to just listen. And as these men begin to, to discuss things at this table, one of the men who, I believe there's five brothers and every one of them are in the ministry. He's a pastor. And he began to share with these other men the dilemma he lives in. And he said, in my church and in my city and even in the county that I, I, I pastor in, 90% of all of them live with a union background. And he said, so what happens from generation to generation to generation, they've been taught, you go to work, you do a good job at work, and your union will work on you to get a raise, your union will work for you to get holidays, your union will even tell you how to vote. But you just go to work. And he said, this is what I'm dealing with. This one pastor, thinking to be very religious, he looked at him and said, you need to blast them. You need to tell them how wrong they are. You need to tell them that they need to do this and this and this. And this pastor, with tears in his eyes, looked up at him and said, I could blast them. I could tell them how stupid they are. And he said, you know what would happen? Every one of them would leave my church. And he said this, and I've never forgot it. I choose to love them. And he said, I choose to teach them the word of God. And let them begin to see, this is what God said. Even more so above what the union said. And that's my point here. I'm never going to tell people how to vote, guys. That's not my job you got to follow your heart. But the big thing I tell you is we've got to read our Bibles and understand somebody's going to be president next week, guys, but it's not going to change the way I pray. It shouldn't have changed the way you pray. Now look what John said here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, if you'll notice in there, he didn't say our love for, should just be for fellow believers. He said, let us love one another. 
Let us value and appreciate one another. And I believe when, when this was being said here through John, this should be our position. This should be our pattern. This should be our permanent residence. I'm going to love people. I'm going to love people. Even when they think different than me. Look what he says in verse 17 of that same chapter. Love has been perfected among us. Now, I want, to, I want to highlight something there. He said, love has been perfected among us. Remember when we started in Psalm 50, verse 2? It said, the perfection of beauty. That God would shine forth with the perfection of beauty. You know what the perfection of beauty is? If you'll look in verse 17, the first word, he says, love has been perfected among us. Jesus himself said in John 13, 35, he said, they'll know you're my disciples by how stinking smart you are. He said, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love. I believe this has got to come back in, guys, to our hearts, into our churches. Now look how he ends in that verse. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we, where? In this world. Not when we get to heaven, but in this world. Now think about what Jesus said. This isn't my kingdom. If my kingdom was like this, I'd fight. But instead he said, let's just love. Let's ask God for his love to come upon us. And I believe this, guys, the beauty, the reflection of the Lord that comes when we love one another is the only thing that will ever change our world. It's the only thing that will ever change our society is when we begin to love people like God said. Beloved, let us love one another. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And so just as the sun arose today... And it'll arise again on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. I encourage you. Begin to ask yourself this question. Am I Christ-like? Do I do the things that would be pleasing to the Lord? In every area of my life. I want to show you something. If you'll put that up on the big screen now. This is a thing. Yeah, you can cut those lights. This is a, a, a thing from Billy Graham. One of the things I love about Billy Graham is his love. Just love for people. And as I saw this the other day, it really spoke to my heart. And let me read this. The legacy we leave behind for our children and our grandchildren and this great nation is crucial. As I approach my 94th birthday, I realize this election could be my last. I believe it is vitally important that we cast our ballots for the candidates who base their decision on biblical principles and support the nation of Israel. Now, I've said that for, for weeks, guys. That is one of the biggest things. Why do I harp on Israel, guys? Whether we like it or not, there in Genesis 12, the Lord himself said, I will bless those who bless them, and I will curse those who curse them. So he brings this up here, and he says, I urge you to vote for those who protect the sanctity of life. And support the biblical definition of marriage between a man and a woman. Vote for biblical values this November 6th. And pray with me that America will remain one nation under God. 
I believe that was written with the love of God. I heard them interview Billy Graham. And you know what his thought was? This will be my last election most likely. I'm not going to be here much longer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be gone. But a man whose heart is that of love is thinking, and this is his thoughts. I want what's good and best for, for, for our grandchildren and our children. And I started out the freedoms we have in this nation. I love them and thank every one of you who've served in our military for those freedoms. But guys, we got to continue believing God that the biblical principles that God set up you know, it wasn't long, I, I, a few, few weeks back, I played golf with Bob Worth. Bob's almost 70, and that's one of the things he said to me. He said, you know what, Pastor? I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be, be gone before long. Not real short, Bob. you still got quite a few more years in you. But he said, my concern is my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. And guys, don't think this place called America will keep going when we continually to, to <clears throat> downplay the things of the kingdom of God. Don't think that's going to happen. And I hate to stand before you, and I hate to admit this, but I'm going to. I've said this out of my mouth. I pray that you don't have any children. And it was wrong of me to say that. And you say, why would you pray that? Because when I begin to see what's happened in the 50 years of my life to right now, it grieves me, it concerns me to look and think, I don't want our children to go through stuff that's not pleasant. But I believe if we'll continue to be Christ-like and we'll love God with all our hearts, and we'll continue to pray, but the church must arise, guys. And I'm not telling you don't write letters. I'm just telling you, let it be done with the love of God. Let it be done with the love. Stand on your feet here with me today. Would you bow your head? And we honor you today. And Father, as a...